Hey, before this episode gets started, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, Thursday, August 25th, you can register for the lowest possible child establishment forum tickets today and save $50. But you need to register today to save $50 on your ticket to the second annual child discipleship forum in Nashville or online this September 22nd or 23rd. Can't miss out on this, folks. In-person seats are running out, so you need to register today. The links are available in the show notes. Gather your leaders, volunteers, and parents to learn from our incredible lineup of speakers on culture, children, and local church ministry. Whether you join us in person or online, you'll collaborate with your fellow Kidman leaders, and you will learn and apply the results of the largest children's ministry research project in over two decades from Barna and Awana, children's ministry in a new reality, building church communities that cultivate lasting faith. Secure your seat on childdiscipleshipforum.com by midnight tonight, that's Thursday, August 25th, to save $50. And if you're listening to this after Thursday, I still want you to register. I still want you to get there, but go to childdiscipleshipforum.com. Thanks for listening. This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast powered by Awana. I'm Ross. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited that you're here today because I am joined uh, by someone who has legitimately become a friend of mine by doing this podcast, uh, which is the one and only Sam Luce. Sam, welcome back to the podcast, sir. Thanks for having me, Ross. And we are also joined by Matt Markins, president and CEO at Awana. Matt, it is always good to do this with you. I was really hoping that I was the friend, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you and I have been friends for a long time. You know, you and I predate the podcast by at least four weeks or so. We are in a series of conversations that is focused on the children's ministry in a new reality research project. This was a project that was funded by the Barna Group and in partnership with Awana. Uh, you've heard us talk about this resource before, but Matt, I just want to set the table for people who are new to this conversation. What is the Children's Ministry New Reality? Why is Awana doing a research project? How did we get here? Yeah, well, research is, in a few words, as possible. Research is about wisdom. It's about insight. I think part of our problem in today's world is there's so much information. How do we edit and cut through the information to get to the most important pieces? But even once we have the information, how do we convert that information into wisdom and insight to inform the best way to live, right? Sure. And so that's why we do research. Um, for, for us as an organization, we serve 66,000 churches in 130 countries. So we wanna help bring the best information, the best research and insight and wisdom to the church so that the church can have clarity, right? In this, this changing world, how can we most fruitfully, faithfully and effectively make disciples in today's world? That's ultimately what led us to this project. Sure. So for those of you who haven't read it, there are research, there are links in the show notes wherever you're listening or watching that you can pick up a copy yourselves for you or for your team. Uh, but Sam, I want to bring you in here because you are someone who has been at Redeemer Church uh, in upstate New York for a while. Uh, and what is your current role at that church? Uh, current role is I'm pastor of Global Ministries. That's right. You're only in charge of the entire globe. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but you yes. are someone who has been in this world of children's ministry for a majority of your career. And yeah. one of the yep. things that 
I want to keep, you know, at a high level. We're not we're not doing a book report here, but the title Children's Ministry in a New Reality suggests mm-hmm. that there was an old reality. Right. And I'm curious from your perspective, how do you begin to define our new reality? What are some of the the handles of that versus and when was the sort of most recent shift? When do you feel like a new reality started? Yeah, so I think for me uh, as a ministry leader, I think what it came um, when I first came in uh, years ago before the Internet ex- existed and podcasts were created and mm-hmm. uh, friends were met that way. Yeah, I um, <laughs> a simpler was, time, a simpler time. Yeah, simpler time, much simpler time. But what, what it was was I, I came in as an expert, uh, particularly you know, they would hire a kids pastor. You're the expert uh, disciple my kids. Right. Um, and so that was sort of the thing is like, bring your kids to us and we'll turn them into disciples of Christ, right? Um, which has some value. Uh, but then the conversation in the kids ministry world, I think, kind of shifted to being uh, parents are the primary and the church is secondary, uh, where it became like, you're the person uh, where the church began to say, no, wait a minute. Now, we're not the experts necessarily. You guys have more time. Mm. Let's, you should be discipling your kids, right? And so I think that's sort of the, those two sort of paradigms pitted against each other are sort of the old paradigm. I think the new reality is uh, kids need both. Hmm. Kids need parents who are engaged in discipling their kids and kids need a church home that is engaged in discipling their kids. And for that to be successful, I think the, the, the Barna data proves that I think pretty, pretty beautifully. Uh, but I think as uh, kids ministry leaders, I think we have to think differently. We have to think um, parents are not primary in the way that we say I'm absolved from responsibility, but parents are partners with us together. We are we are here to help them and to partner with them and to grow together to disciple kids in a way that the, the church becomes like a family hmm. and families become like little churches. I'd love to hop in there. Sam and I have been talking about this idea of parents as primary compared to parents as partners. Part of the challenge with that language, parents as primary, is it's a static snapshot. I think what we mean when we say that is theologically or theoretically, parents are the primary discipler of the kids. Certainly, they have more on paper, they have more capacity, more opportunity to be the, the disciple of the kids. But what we do is we end up creating a static profile of the you know, almost like almost like saddleback Sam. You know, we we end up creating a, a static profile of who or what that parent is. But we're really the reality is we're talking about a continuum of many types of parents. Right. And some parents have more capacity, some have less, some have more uh, ability than others. So so that's part of the challenge with that language. But parents as partners. Is is a is a better picture, but also child discipleship is a better framing because it yeah. starts with the child and how to surround that child's environment with the appropriate people. It might be parents, it might not be parents, based on who those parents are. Absolutely, that's a great point, Matt. Honestly, and and I think that's the thing we have to realize is that we also have to think like there's some parents that are not that don't come to church, that don't bring that that they drop their kids off or they come with a neighborhood friend. Or they're just not um, having been disciple themselves, and I think that's a huge problem. I think that we have to talk about uh, at some uh, at another day. You know what I mean? But <laughs> I think part of the reason why a lot of parents don't disciple their kids is because they've never been disciple themselves. Yeah, well, and that's reflected in this data that we have received from the Barna Group, which is to say that the vast majority of people, you know, this comes up essentially every study about this, but the vast majority of people who have been discipled 
can point to their childhood experience of when that discipleship happened. Mm-hmm. Matt, you know, again, this is a conversation people have heard several times as we've begun to sort of really hammer home the importance of not just this data, but what this data means. But since yeah. you were involved from the very beginning of this process with the Barnard Group, what surprised you the most about the findings, whether before or after they were published? Like, what did you think, oh, I didn't see that coming? Well, I think there there was all pre-COVID, there was already a feeling of children's ministry leaders looking into their toolbox and feeling like I have less tools today than I did. You. I mean, in, in some ways, we have more tools than ever, but in terms of tools that actually lead to effective ministry and the out, kinds of outcomes that we're looking for, we kind of, I, I think that feeling was out there prior to COVID, but now here we are post-COVID, and that really came through in the research. When we asked children's ministry leaders, how much influence do you have on the overall development of a child? Uh, you know, p- things like parents and social media and friends were ranked very high, but the local church, mm-hmm. local church leaders ourselves, and our church services for children scored ridiculously low. I'm talking about in general, like in that 15% mark, right. where things like parents might have been up there around the 80% mark. And so, so the, I think the biggest surprise is just real is hearing how clear it was, it was a resounding, uh, clear message that we as children's ministry leaders don't think we are as influential on a child's overall development. So, but here's why I think, let me put some new language to this or some different language to that formation, mm-hmm. counter formation. So the culture, the dominant culture, you know, when you wake up out of bed and you just walk through your neighborhood, that's just formation. Like, like turning on the TV, turning on, picking up a screen, this formation's happening constantly. It's the fish swimming in the water. So that's the dominant formation that's happening to a child. But child discipleship is an intentional effort to do, I think, what we could call counter formation, meaning the world's kind of trying to lull you to sleep or sometimes even aggressively to form that child to go a certain direction. And that direction is not toward Jesus and his ways. Child discipleship is counter formation. So as we think about that toolbox, um, as children's ministry leaders, we then need to turn our next questions to, well, what tools do I have? I may not feel like I can be that effective in counterforming that child because of all the other things that are taking place. But I do have to ask myself, well, what are the most effective ways to counterform? And I think that right there is, is a really worthy conversation. And there's certainly more in the research we could dig under in that area. Yeah. I want to I want to jump in on that though because I think that plays really well into the distinction that you guys are talking about between parents as partners and parents as primary because you know Sam for you one of the things that always comes up whenever I think about this conversation even for my own kids is literally the amount of time that is required for intentional discipleship not the sort of everyday moments which are a super critical part of this conversation that is for a separate yep. podcast right but uh, as Darren Whitehead said at last year's CDF, let's talk about one of the biggest idols in America, which is school sports. Mm-hmm. And the family that chooses to engage their kids in school sports that take them away from church, take them away from discipleship, are not doing so maliciously. They are right. doing so from a place of, I think you, you guys use the phrase, like being almost lulled into sleep sometimes of, not necessarily paying attention to the consequences of decisions that pull kids it's, away from discipleship. Yeah, go ahead. It's Matt. that dominant. It's that dominant culture. Right. Yeah. So when I think about that, Sam, like 
what does some of that partnership conversation look like? Because what we see in the data is also that parents don't necessarily feel equipped to be primary. Like they are looking for partners in this discipleship. How do yeah. we begin to bridge that gap that so many feel exists? Right. So I, th I think um, what's interesting is, is that question you're asking is uh, when we did this, uh, where we uh, did this Barna survey with our own church, that was one of the questions you can for ask a couple of your own questions. That was one of the questions we asked is how can we best help you and prepare you? And so we asked, is it, do you need more resources? Do you need more training? Do you need more um, events or, or you're not sure? Mm -hmm. And so I was almost positive that it was going to be resources. You know, I thought parents need more resources. Just give me stuff and I'll know what to do with it and I'll take it and run. Because a lot of my conversations with parents uh, is that they're like, hey, I don't know how to talk to my kids about faith, about God, about, about death. Um, these difficult conversations, like how do I do these? And um, so I give them resources. But what came from our, um, our sampling of our church was that people wanted more training hmm. or they weren't sure. And so to me, what, the, what we're starting to look at as our church is, is, okay, so how do we partner in a way where we don't just give them something and say, go do this, but we, but we show them. And I think, um, I think again, this is, this is us getting away from old practices of, of pastoral visitation, of inviting people into our homes and modeling for them what it looks like to, to have a family worship service together. Hmm. And we have this idea that a family worship needs to be like this hour long thing or this 45 minute thing. And really it's uh, like you're saying, time is of the essence. And I think uh, really uh, it uh, 10 minutes or less a day is all that you need. And and even if you can't do it every day, every other day, or even once a week, like those things are formative and those things will, your kids will remember those things where we read a passage of scripture, where we discuss it briefly and we sing a hymn and pray. Yeah. And uh, that takes literally like 10 minutes and, and, and people don't know what that's like because they, again, like we're going back to is they never experienced it themselves. Hmm. And that is really that counter formation, right? Like you're able yeah. to do that 10 minutes a day because yeah. that antidote to the water that you and your kids are swimming in is, can be that much effective, can be. Well, and, it, and I think what it minutes. does, Ross, yeah, honestly, is it's not, I know, I mean, no, no metaphor is perfect, but I mean, I think it's more than just an antidote to the world. It's, it's a lens by which you can see everything. Mm, it, it, it reframes the way that you see the world. It's not like we're trying to be inoculated from like this poison that's coming from the outside. It's like saying this world was created by God for his glory and our good. So how can we view it in a way that is, that is distinctively and uniquely Christian? How can we see the world in the way yeah. that God intended us to enjoy it? And so there, again, there's nothing wrong with sports, but when sports becomes the thing by which we find our joy and life and everything, yeah. uh, it has become something it was never intended to be. It's what Tim Keller calls yeah. a good thing we make an ultimate thing. Hmm. So uh, speaking of metaphors, I want to I use a different metaphor here. Uh, Matt, I want to start with you for this conversation because people are going to hear this a lot at CDF. People have already heard it on the podcast, but I think it bears repeating, which is this language that you've used of sort of the old maps of children's ministry versus the new maps. I want you to set the table for people who are hearing that for the first time of just simply what do you mean by that? But in particular, yeah. for both of you, one of the things that I'm conscious of is, and Matt, you talk about this a lot, a new map doesn't mean you throw out the old map. It just means a new map. How do you honor the old map while blazing a new trail? Well, new maps are about, or excuse me, old maps are 
are created based on the best information available. Mm -hmm. So Katie and I were in San Antonio about a year ago, and we discovered this map from the 1500s uh, created by the Italians. And you look at these old maps from hundreds of years ago, those were well-funded endeavors. Like th these were probably kings or, or presidents of countries who gave the explorers and photographers a lot of money and said, go map the world, right? And they go out on these projects that probably took half a lifetime, right, to, to come up with this, this map. As I'm looking at this map, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is beautiful. I, if, if we could, if these people who created this could come back from the dead, what would we say to them? I think we would say thank you. Look at what you created with limited mobility and visibility and technology compared to today. The problem would be if we were still teaching our children in in, in elementary school geography, navigation, uh, political boundaries, etc., off of these old maps, we would be outraged. We yeah. would say. That's outdated information. Compare that to Google Images. We have so much more technology today that shows us how far off that is. And I think I think the reason why this illustration is so powerful is that's exactly where children's ministry is today. It's not it's not that we're not grateful for the old map. We're super grateful for the old map, but we have more information now than we did then. But we're still operating off of an old map. What do I mean by that? Well, let me give an example. Of what I mean by that? Just over my shoulder here, there's five books. Five books I think are critically important to uh, the overall discipleship conversation that we're kind of packaging together. One of them is Emotionally Healthy Discipleship by Pete Scazzaro. And basically he says there's four bound, there's four barriers that keep us from moving forward in discipleship. Uh, by the way, have you have you heard the most recent episode of the podcast, uh, the, the Marshall the podcast, Rise of Paul Marshall? It's on yet another church pastor who's, you know, kind of gone down the wrong direction. And I think of, as as we think about those ideas of pastors of these mega churches who are who have, who have fallen, listen to these four areas that Pete Scazzaro says are stumbling blocks to discipleship. We tolerate emotional healthy maturity. Im Im immaturity. We emphasize doing for God over being for God. Hmm. We ignore the treasures of church history, and we define success wrongly. The old map of children's ministry is linked to the church growth model. By, by the way, there's nothing wrong with the motivation of wanting to grow my church. Jesus said, go and make disciples. In other words, grow and expand and propagate my church around the world. But what became the God or the idol, what Sam was just saying a moment ago in church growth is two words, numerical growth, yeah. grow numbers, get more people to our church location. So think of thinking about the church growth model. We tolerate emotional immaturity. Why? Because we have people who can do, like people who are great performers. So we tolerate doing over being with God. Then we ignore church history. We ignore all of these practices that have formed disciples for years, and we focus only on the few that are designed to gather people together. And we define success wrongly, meaning get more people here versus form more people in the image of Jesus. So the old map, I think, is strongly linked to church growth and entertainment and what we call the Bible light strategy. And it's clear as we're now in the post-Christian world, that's not our future. The future of children's ministry, the new map, is actually an ancient map. The new map is about community. It's about equipping. Uh, it's about uh, deep scriptural engagement with children. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it is the future of where children's ministry is going. And it's all really wrapped up in child discipleship. That's great. Man, yeah, that's so good.
Sam, I want to ask you this to use this framing as a new map. Mm -hmm. One of the things that it makes me think of is there's likely been moments, several moments, probably countless moments over the course of your ministry where you've been able to see what it looks like to partner with a parent well, partner with a family well, partner with, to use language we like to use, another loving, caring yeah. adult well while you're engaged in discipleship of a child. I also know you have people who are in your church who were in your crawler's ministry yeah. and then you were marrying them. Like you built a sort of a healthy ministry. So sort of I'm practically on the ground. I want to leave people with a picture of what the new map can look like, what this healthy partnership with families can look like. Because when I look at this data, I think you can, there's a cynical take mm -hmm. of, whew, this is done. Like we're over the church lost culture one. Yeah. But to Matt's point, I think there's so much hope in the new map. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, uh, there's lots of things we can do. I mean, and, and I think it should be like a combination of many things. I think it's um, like us making sure on the weekend that and and on the weekday, what, how, whenever whenever you gather together, that you are you are making sure that what you're doing is intentional, in such a way that your kids come away with a deep appreciation uh, for the history of the church, a deep appreciation for theology, and a deep appreciation for the beauty of Christ. So that's where we start is we start with there. And then from there, what we do is we, we branch off into curating resources. Because part of the, one of the challenge, I think, one of the challenges is that there is so much available. When I started, there was like nothing. Like you had to, you had to like <laughs> look for things. You had sticks yeah, and we stones. Had, we, <laughs> had, <laughs> we, we had puppets and we had all these things. You know what I'm saying? We had uh, like flannel graphs. You know what I'm saying we had like a very limited amount of resources that we had to uh, add ourselves to. The challenge now is there's so many resources out there. It's it's the responsibility of the church to curate those for them to say, here's some of the best voices that can help you uh, in going forward. And uh, so I think doing that, I think the other thing is, is discipling parents. And I think this is something we don't talk enough about is uh, I just finished a year of a discipleship with with seven dads. And uh, one of the best ways that you can disciple, and, and the reason why I did that, the reason why I did that with that discipleship group with those dads is because I am convinced that there is a lot of parents who don't disciple their kids because they've never been discipled. So I think one of the things that we can do as kids pastors is not just think in terms of, of crafts and, and stories and engagement of children. It's, it's how can we either ourselves uh, disciple parents or be or partner with our small groups ministry, our, 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 our you know, the, the pastors in our church say, how can we be better disciples of the parents, of the moms and the dads uh, in our church in such a way that they see Jesus is infinitely more beautiful than, than sports, than anything that this dominant culture has to offer us that says this is, this is what success looks like. When we redefine our success by the success that, that of what the Bible defines success by, what happens is we find that it re- it recreates our priorities. It re it recreates yeah. the way in which we see the world. And and what happens is that there comes a transformation in our hearts, in our loves. I love what what uh, James K. A. Smith he says: "You are what you love." And in that book that he wrote with the same title, it was so powerful and so profound uh, because he he goes after the same thing that Saint Augustine says. It says that our hearts are restless until they fi it finds its home in you. What Saint Augustine was talking about what James K. A. Smith is talking about what we need to talk about with our kids is that you are defined by what you love. So we have to help our kids, help our parents, help our church 
uh, love God in such a way that it reforms every other love and it reorients every other love to that first love that has been uh, understand and fully realized by God's love for us in Christ. That's a lot of great stuff, man. Matt, if people have been listening every week, they've heard a couple of conversations with folks from the Barna Group that specifically have unpacked this project, Children's Ministry in a New Reality, which again, you can pick up uh, your copy in the show notes of this episode. But while we are not going to move away at all from this, this is the last sort of dedicated episode we have what do you want to leave people with? What do you want to make sure that they know about this new reality or this new map? Well, for, first of all, this is the most exciting work on the planet. Like, like forming children, counterformation work with children is the best work on the planet. So if this is what you do, if this is your world, or even if you just are a part of that, we just want to say, you're at the right place. We love you and you're doing great stuff. So, but if, if I were apart from prayer, which is the most, this is the greatest need is for God's people to pray and for ask his spirit to move. Apart from that, what action steps can we do for senior pastors? It's, it's community, uh, building community and being hosp hospitable. If we, if we can get our churches to be uh, places of community for children where children feel uh, this idea of hospitality where they feel loved and that they belong. Like if I'm a senior pastor, I'm going to make sure that's a priority. Like our church community is a place where kids belong. They know they're belonged and they're welcome and loved and they're known. But if I'm a kid's pastor, uh, the, probably the single greatest thing that I would think about doing is how do I use part of my Sunday time and part of my weekend space to actually equip parents? Because what happens in most of our models, parents go to the large worship gathering while kids are at some kind of separate, uh, get, you know, kids' church or large group, small group, et cetera. But parents don't actually get equipped. I go and I, I sing songs. I, I pray. I listen to a sermon, but I'm not getting equipped. I'm starting to see some churches do some, some kind of parent training on Sunday morning while the majority of parents are already there at church. Hmm. Uh, because if you do it on a Tuesday night or on a Thursday night or Wednesday night or whenever, you're, you have a hard time getting them back there. But if you can figure out how to get a space at your physical church uh, location and you can train 25, 50, 100, whatever it is, like, like over a course of a certain period of time of your parents, use that primary Sunday or weekend space to start equipping parents equipping is different from just teaching them a lesson tell teach them how to actually have conversations and dialogue with their kids how to disciple them and uh, th i think that's a big part of how we move forward we got to build community and we have to equip uh, if we're going to actually see child discipleship take place uh, as, as a big part of the future one of the things i want to just throw in there too i haven't told you this but um the last four weeks of our discipleship group together with my, with those dads um, it was about parenting, and uh, there's one guy who's he works in the medical community. He's, he hasn't really come back to, since from COVID, uh, and he has three small kids. And so I shared with him the data from Barna about the, a loving, caring adult in their life and the difference that that makes in the life of a child. In the last three weeks, he has been back in church um, as a result of hmm. of that findings from Barna. So, like in a very practical way, just I think sharing it with parents, like this is uh, you matter, but you know what also matters is is us. Y'all matter. We all matter as the church together, and we need each other. We need other voices in our in our kids' lives that are pointing them to Jesus relentlessly. Mm. Amen.
Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient child disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode. And check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from the conversation as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. The podcast is mixed, edited, and produced by me, Marlon Washington, and hosted by Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from the album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.